Welcome to the show. What's happening? Adam Cox sitting right next to me. I'm so excited to be with you, Paul George. <laughs> Why is that? It's been two weeks. You've been a busy bee? I have been. Been all over. Well, one, we were in the midst of a move, moving houses, but that had really That's nothing like to do. That's like the major life stress, moving. I've been traveling out of town, and mm-hmm. so, you know, just kind of... Kind of one of those things. Well, I'm happy to be here with you. Landing back in town. What a week. What a week. So, um, so yeah, man. Uh, I mean, so I was off in Ohio, Steubenville, Ohio, and filmed an episode of the show that's on EWTN called Franciscan Presents. It's a theological roundtable discussion. Mm. And uh, I was the guest. Wow. So... So here's the have you seen, okay? So here, you know, this is what I want to talk about. What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? So, so I'm literally for real about, have you ever seen the show? Yes, I have, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. Franciscan Presents. Yep. On I've seen e- it. On EWTN. I will admit it's been a while. Mm-hmm. But it's been on for a while. Yeah. Yes, it has. And I have to admit something. I can guess what's coming. What is it? You've never seen. I've <laughs> never seen the show that I'm going to be on, yeah. so I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah, are you going to watch that episode? Yeah, they'll send it to me when it's edited. It, it come. It, I think they have six shows a semester, so one one a month, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I was a guest on the show. I don't, you know, I just they asked me. I went and uh, I gave a talk at the university, and then was a guest on the show. Dr. Scott Hahn, Dr. Regis. President of the university, Father Dave Provonka, and me. I was kind of the mm-hmm. odd man out. I got to well, tell not you really, because they were talking about your book, right? Well, yeah, and the the theological discussion was around my book, Rethink Happiness. That would it make was me so really nervous. Really good because, like, they know so much more than me <laughs> about my book. Do they? So they could read between the lines. <laughs> yes. Here's what you're really trying to say, Paul. Those guys are so good, though, man. Yeah. And uh, you know what I what I love uh, about. Um, you know, Dr. Han and Dr. Regis, uh, and th- these guys are super smart. They teach, um, but that at, at the, at their heart, they're passionately in love with Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Like they don't worship theology. They worship Jesus mm-hmm. and they have right theology. They have orthodox theology, but they're in love with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that is just so cool. That you is know, so cool. Because you, you kind of find yourself oftentimes just getting lost in all these arguments and discussions. And uh, it just really takes away from what our first love really is as a church. Mm-hmm. What's our love? What's our first love? Well, just in a couple of weeks, we're going to canonize St. John Henry Newman. I would say he's similar. And he would, he would talk about the difference between notional ascent and real ascent. So notional ascent is like you're ascending to an idea. Or, you know, like a a theological concept, let's say. And you're like all about it. Like, yes, I'm giving that my assent. But that's different than real assent, which is I'm going to assent to a thing that actually exists. You know? And there's always a temptation, not just for scholars or theology people, but for every Catholic, to get wrapped up in notional assent of our faith, Mm -hmm. forgetting that Jesus is a real person. Right. He really died really rose again, and he's really in my life right now calling me to follow him. They go together, but the more powerful, more palpable one is the real ascent, that I have met this Jesus, and I ascent to him. And so when you find somebody like like who you mentioned, and you yourself, Paul George, who 
understands the ideas of the faith and have studied them, but that's only fed their real ascent into Jesus Christ. And so it hasn't become a stumbling block, a distraction, but actually fed that love. It's a beautiful thing. Right. If, if theology doesn't allow us to fall deeper in love with Christ and the Great Commission, which is, you know, the two greatest commandments, love God and love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I often find, like, people who get stuck in, you know, all this theology forget that second one yeah like just really passionately loving your neighbor and well and here's why because if your neighbor has a bad idea and all you think about is ideas notions all the time and being right then your neighbor is you right. just cast them off yes like they don't get it they don't understand they're ridiculous and cast them off you know like we do this all the time majority of a lot of people i don't know majority but a lot of people don't believe what i believe i think the mm-hmm. way i think or um subscribe to the theology that I do, but that Jesus never says, well, don't love those people. I mean, right. like, like we're supposed to love people that even hate us, particularly people who don't agree with us or think the way we do. Like, like it's not always about being right. It's about, it's about loving. Right. So anyway, it was really cool to Scott. I don't know how the show's going to edit it or whatever. Um, but you know, my personal takeaway from just being on the show had little to do with my book uh, and more to do with like what I was receiving from the discussion mm-hmm. um, with these guys, you know? Well, you know, you've written a real book when people like that can spend what 40 minutes on the show about talking about it. Well, I think the topic of the book, you know, is, is something that every human desires. And, and one of the questions that father Dave asked me at the beginning is, why did you decide to write this book? And it was interesting because I hadn't thought about the question. So my response was just very, you know, real and organic. I just said, I don't feel like I wrote the book. I feel like the book was written in me and therefore I wrote it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like this desire to discover true joy and happiness in Christ is something that's written in me it's written in you too like we're all on that search for uh, for the truth of that right so anyway mm. it really allowed the discussion to happen organically less around the book more around the topic i guess you could say you know um but it but it was cool it's pretty was neat yeah is it tough for you to watch video with you of myself yeah must uh, be must be kind of weird yeah like i don't really <laughs> I don't, I'll, I'll tell you when I when I see it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It is weird for me to hear me. Yeah, me too. I agree with that. You know, yeah. like if you're if you're driving and the, this show is playing on the radio, which and, it plays that on, has happened, on, yeah. on the radio, you know, it's kind of like, wait, that's weird. Yeah. You know, but, well, I think I sound like an idiot. And I probably do. But that's kind of like my reaction. It's like, oh, you sound so weird. <laughs> to yourself, you do. Right, right. But yeah, no, to, to me, you sound like you. And I think you sound great. Oh, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Look at that. Do you like that? Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think so. So did you help Dr. Scott Hahn rethink happiness? Yeah, I think so. Dude, that's I mean, a feather in the cap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway. So I made him happy. It was good. So I went from, from you know, so we missed last week's show, but we, we, we still aired a show. And then, you know, I went from there to, to Mississippi, which... Um, which is this really cool church, St. Thomas in, in Long Beach, Mississippi. 
I spoke there. And the way they built the church, so I was actually at this church in, I remember it because Gretchen and I were just married. So it was either 97 or 98. and went to speak at this church. Gretchen was with me. It was this beautiful old white church on the beach, okay, um, right on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. And we stayed at the rectory next door, um, and they had this beautiful balcony that overlooked the ocean. And uh, just kind of under the oaks of, of like, southern Mississippi. It was really beautiful. Wow. And and Hurricane Katrina, the thing got completely and totally, like, splintered. The church? Yeah. Like, gone. Like, literally just land. That's so sad. And that part of Mississippi um, was on the east side of Katrina got the worst. Like, you're talking about, like, tidal, like, like the surge Mm -hmm. was, like, 12 feet. Like, yeah, it was terrible. Th- think about how high and just wiped out. So anyway, they built the new church, but uh, the new church is beautiful. And they built it years ago, you know, after Katrina, but, um, and they had some of the old stained glass from that was saved from the church and whatnot. But the way they built the church is really, really amazing, particularly if you're a clergyman, uh, because um, the, the, the altar and sanctuary faces the ocean. And so the front of the church is all glass, the front meaning the back. Really? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like where you would walk out of the church. So if you're standing uh, on the steps of the altar and looking, you literally just see the ocean. Really? Just, just the beach. Can you hear it? In your mind. Okay. It's so. beautiful. So, so I was speaking last night in the church as the sun was setting over the ocean, and it was like this... I think the pastor like did it on purpose when they rebuilt the church. It's like <laughs> my view is going to be this is going to be my view every day when I say mass. That is something. Yeah, yeah. So I got to go St. Thomas. Yeah, if you're ever alone there, go to mass at St. Thomas in Long Beach, Long Beach, Mississippi. Long Beach, Mississippi. Wow. Yeah. I'll tell him Paul George sent me. Yeah, it was it was it was great. So anyway, it's awesome. Um, I don't know if I've ever been. No, I've never been to a beach church. I was in a mountain church, Mount St. Mary's uh, in Maryland, where it's like on top of the mountain, and it's similar. There's glass, so you can kind of look out. It's pretty neat. Yeah. God made some good stuff. God made some some really, really good stuff. So anyway, all right. Um, good to be back with you, man. Yes. We're going to have a great good discussion to be today. Here. Let's um, discuss it. All right. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul and Adam here, studio, talking art of living, life. You know, when I was in Ohio, I was, you know, hanging out with these guys. And, you know, we're talking a little bit about our first love, but theology and orthodox theology, which is, you know, means you know, right theology, basically, mm-hmm. and not right in a sense of, I'm right, you're wrong, right, meaning... A sense of true. Sense of true, right? Something uh, you could build your life on. Yes, yeah. a sense of 
of truth and truth. Yeah. You know, it's uh, interesting. The, in the Old Testament, the word for truth kind of denotes like a large rock as in what you would build your house on. And I think in our modern world, we think of truth as like the end of an argument. Oh, that's true. And then, no, it's not. Yes, it is. But in the Old Testament, the idea of truth was just something that was sturdy enough that you can build your life on it. Right. Because where there's real truth, there's freedom, right? Mm -hmm. And Scripture talks about that. And when one knows or even hears or sees truth, there's a sense of peace and freedom. Like, oh, I don't know if there's ever been times in your life. There has for me, particularly early on in my conversions, and I say conversions because it was layered over and over again, when I, I would f- discover a truth and it would be like, well, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. If, I just, if I just did that that way, it would bring me so much more peace than the way I was doing that, whether it be in whatever area of my life and, and uh, you know, moral moral stuff, you know, in, in, in a sense of moral theology or whether it be in practical theology or whatever it is, is like, oh, it's like the truth when it resonates. It just, you just know in a sense that it, that's the right, right path to follow. Yeah. Right? And then you could build your life on that and yeah. you know you're on sturdy ground. And, and what I find like oftentimes in conversations with people and probably listeners feel this way too, is that the, the, the culture the culture, and even in a sense in the spiritual world, the enemy is constantly trying to just reprioritize truth. Like if it's like if we could just get a little bit off of the truth, then the enemy has us off track. It's like the culture. It's like with Christmas. Like the culture can just say, "Well, Christmas is this," and we just kind of like we know what Christmas is about, but it's like we're also kind of go with the culture on Christmas. And this isn't a Christmas show. I'm just making, <laughs> making an analogy, right? And I often find that a lot of people in their life don't have the fullness of freedom. A lot of their life is based on sort of this half-truth, but not the fullness, because they're just kind of bought into half-truth. It, it's not mm-hmm. like they're denying the full truth. They just are bought into the half-truth, right? They've kind of just built their life on that. It's like, oh, I'm, it's okay, Right. Yeah, there are people in the world that have rejected the truth, like straight up rejected it. But for most of us, you're right. It's it's a very subtle entanglement of the truth with a counterfeit. I mean, yes. This is what he did with Adam it's and Eve. It's a good word. Yeah, yeah. that's what he did with Adam and Eve. There was some truth that the devil came and twisted and then offered this counterfeit. It looks like the real thing. It feels like the real thing, right? Like you can you can live with this, but it's not the fullness of what God came to give us. No, absolutely. And, you know, when experience the counterfeit, um, you know, if we're not, if we haven't studied what counterfeit is, we don't know it's counterfeit. Yeah. You know, we can have a counterfeit bill in our pocket and not know and just spend it, right? Um, and I was reading actually about uh, the way they train FBI agents to discover counterfeit is actually they spend so much time like literally like holding the money and reading the money and then blindfolding themselves and touching the money like over and over again until they can identify literally a a counterfeit bill by either sight or touch um, without thinking about it. 
right? And that's really what truth is. Like when we really discover the fullness of truth is like, yeah, I don't, I just know, like I, I've learned what counterfeit is, but I've played around with it long enough to know it's counterfeit. And, and therefore I know what a true bill looks like, right? I've, I've discovered it uh, fully and totally. And I want to build my life on that, that, that orthodox truth. And I think this is the idea of the church as defender of truth. I don't think it's so much the church as defender of truth. Like we need to be in all the debates. We need to be in the public square shouting and yelling or offering, you know, not that those are bad things to do, but it's more like guarding the fullness of truth so that a hundred years from now, someone can discover the truth and know the difference between the counterfeit. Because if we don't have the real thing, if we don't have like true Christianity, then how can we even know what is not true Christianity? This is why St. Paul says, you know, if anyone comes along teaching a different gospel, you know, reject them. Right. Other than the one I taught you. Right. And so we've been taught the gospel. We've been Reject taught... their teaching. Right. Right. And again, like I'm going to bring this back, is that orthodoxy truth, free, it, it should lead us to loving Jesus more and to loving others more, even if they don't agree with us. Like it... We're living in a world where I think oftentimes I see Christians loving less than ever. Yeah. Like, and even within the church, loving each other less because, oh, they worship this way. And this, it is an absolute disaster. And I think non-Christians are looking at Christians and saying, yeah, like, you're no different. That's true. You're no different in the way you love, like... You know, like what's different in the way you love? Like, unless we're we're loving, like radically showing the world and the culture that we're loving differently, not just acting differently, loving differently, then there's nothing nothing different about a Christian. You know, and we've kind of mentioned that. You know, um, but you know, get back to the discussion is that the culture is constantly trying to get us into this counterfeit. You know, I don't mm -hmm. know about you, but it's uh, it's still September. Yes. Okay. Um, and I was in um, one of the big stores, right? One of the big chain stores. That we don't want to mention because they didn't sponsor the show. Yeah. But if they would, we'd mention them. In September, and they're already putting Christmas stuff out. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't really want to think about Christmas right now. No. Okay. But they're making me think about Christmas. Mm -hmm. Right? In your face. Right? So... So there's this like, oh, should I be thinking about Christmas, right? I don't want to be thinking about Christmas, but should I? Uh, and then now I am because like the marketing and the advertising and all the stuff's out. And, you know, it's just really interesting that the culture is constantly after us to reprioritize our lives based on maybe priorities that we don't want to have in our life. Yeah. Yeah. Culture is built. I mean, the root cult is worship. It, this idea, so the foundation of any culture is what we worship. And the thing is, we live in a materialistic culture. Like that's what has been built around us. The worship of money or material goods has inspired all kind of rituals and practices, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's why you could walk into that store you mentioned and you could find Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas all at once. Yeah, just, just do it all, <laughs> all at once. You know, it's interesting to me, but here's the thing. Um, for me as a Christian, for you, is uh, the thing that should prioritize our lives is Jesus. 
Yes. Right? Uh, and what Jesus wants us to be about in our life. And, uh, you know, I got to think about it. So I don't want to think about Christmas. Well, Lord, you know, what should I be thinking about right now? Like prioritize my life to the point where the, where the culture uh, might tempt me, but doesn't, but doesn't um, drive me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that I, I, I can stay focused. And, you know, I think oftentimes, like, w- we allow the culture to prioritize our calendars, uh, our bank statements, uh, um, the time we, we spend with our family or, or shouldn't or work, a- instead of letting Jesus navigate uh, our lives. And what ends up happening is it, I find a lot of times with people and conversations that it just kind of snowballs to the point where they're just like, no, this is just the way it is, you know? And I was talking to a, um, a counselor friend of mine, PhD uh, counselor and psychological services. And I was saying, Hey, you know, holidays are coming up. Do you guys, you know, is it like a busy season in some part? uh, Yeah. Like people deal with depression and stuff over the holidays. She goes, you know, what's really interesting is that a lot of times people just put it off. And then after the holidays, they're like, Oh, we're going to deal with it now. And I began to think like, wait, what? Like, how do you just put, put that off now? Like people say, you know, they're going through like relational difficulties. They're like, oh, we're just going to put this off and we'll deal with it later. I think that's what often happens is that instead of allowing, you know, Jesus to, to, to direct our actions and our priorities, you're just saying, no, we're just going to deal with it later or make change later. Yeah. And the counterfeit is always an, an exact reversal. So let's take Christmas. The counterfeit Christmas says, look, just take all your issues, all your whatever, and just stuff it down for a couple months while you give out presents and buy all kind of crazy things and let your just let your family be happy. Don't bring up anything controversial at the table. Just get through it. Right. Buy a bunch of stuff. Then when it's over, you can worry about everything else. That's what this materialism says, right? But then the Lord says, I came as an infant to bring peace, to reconcile brothers and sisters, to, like, in other words, if we enter into the mystery as the Lord would have us do and prioritize that, it actually resolves those things within us that have tension, not makes it worse. Yeah, so what I'm getting at is, you know, we shouldn't let the culture uh, or the world prioritize our lives, but allow Jesus to and think in our life, you know, what are my spiritual priorities? What are my emotional priorities? What are my practical priorities of how I want my life and how I feel like the Lord wants my life to go? Instead of saying, you know what, like, uh, we're having a relationship difficulty in our marriage. We're just going to forget about it for a few months. <laughs> and then uh, January, we're going to make a, we're going to make a, pl- we're going to go see someone. Right. Mm. Well, your issues are only growing. They're only getting bigger. They're not yep. going anywhere. Right. She was saying that a lot of people file for a divorce after the holidays because oh they just want to pretend like during the holidays, it just, everything's fine. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about this scripture, you know, uh, one that we often don't want to talk about is when the rich young man goes to Jesus and says, Hey, what do I need to do to follow you? And there's all sorts of things to pull out of the scripture. I love it. And um, he says, you know, go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. And uh, it says that the rich man walked away sad. And, uh, you know, to me, a lot of the, one of the things Jesus was saying is like, um, yeah, now 
How about right now? Like, follow me right now, right? Like, don't wait till later, right? Like, you want to follow me? How about now, right? And the guy's like, well, not now. <laughs> you know, let me, let me go. I got some things to take care of and things to think about. Um, it wasn't just about selling. It wasn't just about the items that he had or the fact that he had money or what. It was the fact that his priorities were off, right? Mm-hmm. In a sense of like when Jesus said, hey, follow me, he, wasn't, he didn't want to do it right now. And I think that's what, like a lot of times, like in our pride and our stubbornness and our lack of humility, is like, no, I don't want to do that right now. Mm-hmm. No, no, Lord, I don't want to follow you right now. No, I don't want to deal with my issues right now. I don't want to deal with the junk right now. I don't want to have the tough conversation right now. I don't want to look at uh, the things that I need to work on right now. I just don't want to do it right now. And the byproduct of that is that we miss out on the healing, the mercy, the forgiveness, the love that Jesus wants for us now. And then it builds, it snowballs to the point where we just don't want to ever deal with it because it feels like it's too big. That's a dangerous place to be because it creates a resistance between us and Jesus where, and how many times have you heard this from somebody's mouth? Like, I think the Lord wants me to do this, but I'm not ready. Where did that but I'm not ready come from? It came from that letting things build up so big in our mind to where it seems so... Like the other day, um, I was talking to someone about going on a retreat, and she said, well, I'm not ready for that because I'm not ready to deal with such and such that happened to me, right? Like she went through a, a difficult experience. And I get that, but the experience was years ago. And so instead of inviting the Lord into that experience and, and prioritizing healing and growth. Emo- you're talking about emotional priorities. Instead of like saying, okay, look, you know, I'm going to take the next year and prioritize healing. Now it's snowballed into something that's literally keeping her from going on retreat, you know, keeping her from following the Lord more closely. And this is the danger of not prioritizing is that it will keep us from Jesus. Yeah. I, I'm not ready right now. Right, mm-hmm. like that's like the biggest distraction for us to move forward. I'm not ready right now, right? Well, I need joy in my life. Well, I'm not ready right now. I need healing in my. I'm not ready right now. You know, my marriage needs to be better. I'm, I'm not ready right now. I need to grow my relationship with Jesus. I'm not ready right now. Really, like, <laughs> I think what Jesus is saying in this conversation with the rich young man is like, no, now. Mm-hmm. No, I know it's complicated. Like, I know you. Yeah, like I get that. No, but now, like, let's do this now, right? And I think there's things in our lives where the Lord's like, no, now's a good time. And our in our human, the cyborg is like, no, not now. I want to wait. I want to deal with it later. I got too much going on. There's no better time than now. Like, mm-hmm. you need joy in your life. Right now's a good time to start. Yeah, it's a good time. Right? Uh, you need, you know, forgiveness in your life. Right now's a great time to take that step. Um you need you need to work through some issues. Uh, maybe there's some relationship difficulties. Uh, your marriage is struggling. Right now is a really good time because here's what happens is it snowballs like we were saying. And this is what people end up saying. I've said it. You've said it. Uh, people have said it in maybe a more drastic measure because of they're dealing with is, is that, you know, a snowball as it rolls down the mountain gets bigger and bigger. So we know mm-hmm. the imagery. And if we're at the center of that, uh, what we do is we can't even see or feel or know where the end of the of the of the snowball is, right? Mm. And here's what I often hear from people is God is so distant. Mm. Mm. No, he's not. He's actually the same place he's always been. You feel like God is distant because of 
how things have grown, how, how your heart, your mind has distanced yourself from God, but God hasn't distanced himself from you. He's gone nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. He's pursuing you constantly, right? Yeah. Saying, hey, how about now? Right? How about now? And we're so afraid to, you know, sell everything we have in a sense of just say, okay, now's the time. And I think that's the beauty of, of, of that scripture is, is the detachment to say yes right now. Oh, you won't? Okay, Lord, I, I'll do that right now. I'll do that right now. You know, and it could be simple ways of talking to someone, loving someone in the grocery aisle, uh, you know, doing some type of service, but it could be about me, you know, things that God wants me. How about, how about right now? Now's a good time. I think one of the best trainings I've had in, in this idea of just prioritizing God's will has been going on retreat with, within a monastery. And if no one, if, if you haven't experienced this, I really suggest there's some you can actually just go stay there, whether it's an organized retreat or not, but you could just stay with the monks or with the nuns for a time. It's so freeing, but it's also exactly like, like what you're describing. In other words, there's a set thing for you to do all the time. Like I'm going to wake up at this time. I'm a, breakfast is at a certain time. Mass is at a certain time. Prayers are at a certain time. Um, then I'm going to be doing this. So it's, it's literally just a matter of following Christ right now the whole weekend. And there's a, there's a piece to letting someone else order your life for like three days. Mm-hmm. And then, because you know what God wants you to do. Like right. it's easy. He wants you to do this list of things. And then you do it. Right. And there's such a piece of that. But our real life is not different than that, really. Now, it's harder to discern what that list is. It's harder to see what that schedule is. But it starts with this priority that, Lord, whatever you want me to do, however you want my Monday to be, my Tuesday, my Wednesday, I'm in. You just got to tell me. Right. And I think that's that's the hardest part of it is that obedience, that humility to say, Lord, you know how to manage my life better. I'm prioritizing your will for my life. So just tell me what it is and I'll do it. Yeah. And, I, you know, oftentimes we talk about, you know, taking back time. You know, the culture really takes our time away. But, you know, we have the opportunity to take it back, right, or reprioritize our calendar, our time. I remember there was a season in my life where I was traveling a lot and it just snowballed, you know. Mm-hmm. And in my heart, like, I just felt like the Lord was like, um, okay, so your priority is, you know, obviously me and then your family, your kids, uh, you need to be home more. And um, I remember just, okay, now, right? So just now was the time. So, like, I just started saying no to things and trips, and people were like, wait, what are you doing? This is what I'm doing, right? And I, I'm just going to chip away at that snowball. I'm going to get back to a manageable you know, thing. And at, at first people were like confused and then they're like, well, that just makes so much sense. Right. Mm-hmm. And then for us, like it just made so much sense. Like it, now's a good time to make the changes that Jesus wants you to make. Right. Start with one thing, you know, don't go, get overwhelmed. But, you know, the imagery of this rich young man is that he walked away sad. I think he walked away sad uh, just because he, he, he just didn't say yes in the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he, like he just, he couldn't say yes in the moment, and, and, you know, he walked away. You know, no one knows what happened next. You know, he could have went home, thought about it, ran back, and said, hey, I'm back. You know, and, and you know, there's all sorts of theological discussions about what happened next with the rich young man. And, you know, so we, we can kind of play around with it. Just 
no one says that he walked away sad and lived a miserable life. Like we don't mm. know that, right? We have literally, all of us listening, have walked away sad at some point. We've said no to the right thing, right? We've mm-hmm. said no to Jesus. We've said no to now. Um, and we've said yes to our misery or our attachments or our old way of living, right? But we've all thought about it and came back to the Lord, right? Yeah. Hopefully. Well, an image, getting back to that retreat analogy, if you've ever put on a youth retreat, you've seen this walk away sad phenomenon when this person who maybe doesn't want to be there, maybe not all in, but kind of all in, and then it's time to do something. So in other words, now it's time to do this, and they don't want to do it. Right. And the, re- the reaction they have. Right. Like, we do that all the time. You know, when if, if the Lord says in our heart or in our whatever, like, now it's time to do this, mm-hmm. we're like, oh, no. You know. When that's <laughs> the thing is... That in, in relationship with Christ, as hard as this is, as a spiritual lesson, is that, unfortunately, it's one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't show us the full picture. Like, we, we know right now and we know the end. The end's heaven. And the right now is the right now. The yes is right, literally right now. And I think for the rich young man, is like Jesus didn't give him an image of the future. He just said, now, follow mm-hmm. me now. And the guy's probably thinking like, well, what's after that? I don't know, right? Like, we want so much certainty about the future, about how things will unfold. And in the spiritual life, the only yes we have is the yes in the moment. Yeah. So if Jesus is asking you to make changes, uh, Jesus wants you to have healing, Jesus wants you to deal with some brokenness or some issues or do something, the only yes you have is in the moment. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'll do this now. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know what the next day is going to bring. All I know is now. And that one step is the step you need to move forward, right? And don't wait till after the holidays to deal with issues. Like the issues right now, like like take a step into it. And I think that's the hard part of the spiritual life is the waiting, is the trust, right? Mm-hmm. Is the not knowing where this is going to take me. Um but what we have is the certainty of the truth. What Jesus says he's going to do, he always comes through because he's God. Well, and that spiritual reality flows into our emotions, which a lot of times determine the outcome of our priorities. It's not even so much our... Because like we can know what the truth is, and we, need, we can even want to live that way. But if our emotional state is one where we're not dealing with things that will determine our daily schedule. Yeah. That will determine our priorities. You're right. You know? And then we'll look back and we'll say, I wish I would have prayed more. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have, you know, because we know what the truth is. Right. We want to do it, but we're not dealing with the emotional baggage that's keeping us from living that way. Well, and, I, you know, when you talk about emotions, emotions have a, a place in our life, but at times they can drive us to do mm-hmm. uh, sometimes good things, but emotions can sometimes drive us to do things that aren't good, Right. And that's why, you know, getting back to the truth and orthodoxy is that when our emotions are whack, Mm -hmm. truth keeps us moving in the right direction, right? Yeah. Um, You know, so I feel like, I feel angry, and under that anger, like, I I just want, I want to, like, punch the person who just hurt me, right? Like, that's Mm. a, a reaction, that's an emotion, right? And I can react to that. And then punch the person, certainly regret it, right? Uh, but the, the truth says, 
don't do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like, okay, so, so that's driving me. But what ends up happening oftentimes is our emotions begin to drive us because we haven't spent time really understanding the truth mm-hmm. um, of the faith and what Jesus says so that when we feel emotionally off, it's the truth that brings us back to doing the right thing in the moment. And the other thing that we don't do when we're emotionally off is we don't ask other people to tell us the truth. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I'm with you. I get angry at someone. I want to punch him. Adam, what should I do? So in your state of like, hey, you know the truth. You like, you're good. You want what's best for me. You're like, that's not a good idea right now. Right? Like you're bringing me back to reality, to truth, but I'm inviting you into that. And oftentimes when we're emotionally off is we shut people off or the only people we bring into our lives are the people who are going to tell us what we want. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask somebody who's going to be like, yeah, just just punch that person. It's going to make you feel better, Mm -hmm. right? And so then I just surround myself with people who are just going to tell me what I want to hear. Yeah, and this is the death of the Christian, right? This is how we become like everybody else because if we get to a point where we're no longer willing to listen to Jesus or the church or those around us who represent and speak the word of Christ and the church, then by default we're going to look out into the world for those that please us, right? For the opinions, for the ideas that please us, like you said. Right. And then that's how we become like everybody else with right. the same priorities, with the same uh, life schedule. And uh, we lose our Christian identity. Man, it, look, if if you have people in your life who tell you what you want to hear, you have you have lost your way. You have literally shut out growth in your life. If the only people you have in your life are people who tell you what you want to hear, because that's an emotional wreck. You're just going to constantly mm-hmm. be led astray, right? Instead of people who bring you back to. Um, truth and freedom and uh, center you back. Like, that's what we need in our life. Because if not, like, we we can't discern things from emotion, right? We have to discern things from a lot of different angles, right? Emotion certainly plays a part in that, right? Um, but also the will, also the truth, also other people's wisdom uh, has to sink in to drive us. And particularly if your priorities are off, particularly if you have things you need to deal with in your life, it's really good to emotionally jump out of that and ask really good people to give their opinions and wisdom to what you should do with that. You know, go to counseling right now, deal with it right now, do this right now. And you're like, oh, okay, that makes so much sense, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't make those decisions on your own often. Yeah, and they can also help you or keep you from rationalizing not dealing with it. So, for example, in the case of counseling, like, man, my wife and I really need counseling. We just can't afford it right now. So I'm thinking, you know, six months from now, things will be better, better financial, whatever. And then a person in your life this way can say, well, I get that, but you also just spend a lot of money on this, you know, and you you always do this every year. What if you didn't do that this year? Mm-hmm. And you did counseling instead. In other words, they'll remind you of the truth by which you can prioritize your life and keep you from rationalizing not dealing with things, right. which is one of our greatest talents as human beings, yep. rationalizing not dealing with things. Yeah, absolutely. We can justify it. And there's nothing greater, nothing more beautiful right now in this moment today than your simple yes to Jesus. 
Mm-hmm. All right. So when we, re- we come back, we'll talk more about this. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul and Adam in studio talking priorities, faith, truth. It's been an interesting conversation. but Yes, it's, it's going many places. Yeah, but the many places it's going is this. <laughs> <laughs> right back to this is that. Ultimately, it, it really is the truth that sets our priorities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the truth um, is a person of Jesus, right? And, but Jesus reveals himself to us not only through the church, through the sacraments, um, through a relationship, through prayer, through scripture, but through other people. So in, in a sense, like for us to really have good priorities, like, we have to be super intentional about it, you know? And we talked about like some of those priorities are dealing with some things in our lives that we've kind of set on the back burner mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just, just that willingness to say yes to, all right, I'm going to start digging in that. I'm gonna start dealing with that. Or I'm gonna start making the changes I need to make. Maybe be some practical changes, uh, emotional changes, spiritual changes, whatever the case may be. There's no greater or better time to do that than right now to just mm-hmm. say yes, Lord, and and that's where grace comes in. I think we don't often talk enough about grace because it's like, what is grace? Grace is the presence of of God, right? Mm-hmm. And but grace all also, in a sense, grows with our willingness to say yes. Like in our yes, there's there ushers in more grace, right? Like because there becomes more space for God to move in a yes than in a no, if that makes any sense, right? Yeah, because he's not an invader. Like, he doesn't force himself into our life. And the more we say yes more deeply, so and this is the nature of yes. When you said yes to your wife on your wedding day, your yes now is a lot deeper. It's not like you were not genuine that day. Or it's the not only like, yes. Right, or that wasn't the only yes, but your yes has deepened over time. And so your relationship has. It's just like that with God. Our yes deepens the more we say yes day after day and the different life experiences that come up between me and God and what we've been through. All of that deepens my yes. And because of that, it deepens my grace. In other words, the mm-hmm. the grace is as deep as my yes is. And this is why the Blessed Mother is full of grace, because her yes was so deep and profound, but also why she grew in grace. So her yes at the Annunciation, John Paul II talks about this, it was deepened and became a much deeper yes at the cross. From the Annunciation to the cross and that journey was so profound in her experiences that her yes deepened, both 100% yes, right? both full of grace, but the grace increased. It increased. It grows. You know, so we we all have grace through our baptism, through Mm -hmm. confirmation, uh, but but grace can be shoved down through a no. It It could be, you know, locked up, right? Like, yes. Like, like you said, like uh, God uh, acknowledges our freedom. Like he's, he's not going to bust through the door 
and uh, he's he's going to stand and and be there, but he's not going to he's not going to go against our free will. But grace expands through a yes. It's like mm-hmm. oh, it's it's a crack in the door. It's it God can usher into that. God can move into that. And so oftentimes I think like people when they think of a yes, it's like oftentimes it's man the yes feels so big. I'm going to have to do so much or make so much changes or, uh, and what I'm saying is like a yes could just simply be unlocking the door. It could be cracking it open. It could be one little step that that's where God can begin to move. That's where grace can begin to grow. It's sort of like a plant needing just a little bit of sunlight, right? Mm -hmm. For the seed to grow. Um, you don't even yet need to put it in the ground yet. Like you just need to get it some sun and some water. And for, for oftentimes in things in our lives where we're facing certain things, it's like ah, the only thing, okay, the only thing I have is a yes. It's just a small one, right? Mm-hmm. But that's all God needs Yeah. for grace to move. And the important thing is that you can be full of grace too if your yes is without reservation. It doesn't matter what your yes is for. Like St. Therese, right, in her little way, she found out that if her life was filled with little yeses, little things, like being nice to the sister that was rude to her, or, you know, cleaning the uh, refectory more than she had to, like these little tiny things, but if they were full yeses, then the grace would be full too. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what the yes is for, but the fullness of our yes brings about a fullness of grace. And speaking of grace... I would really suggest if if someone was like, you know, my priorities are a little off with God. I, I want to be closer to God. I think we start with the thing Jesus said was the most important: loving God, right? Mm-hmm. Loving God and loving neighbor. And where do we, what do we call this? This this loving God. It's it's worship, because loving God means that I give back to Him my life. Mm-hmm. Like there's no other way to love Him. I don't love God by like taking Him to the movies or buying him presents, right? (laughs) Like the love he wants from us is, look, I've given you life, give it back to me. And so I would start with how do I prioritize worship of God? Mm. Now, mass is, of course, public worship. It's where we come together to to give our life back to God. But worship of God takes place all day, every day. Um, And there are things that I'm refusing to give to God, whether it's my money or... But I would start with my time. How does my time show that I'm worshiping God? Mm. You know, am I going to Mass? Obviously, every Sunday, like, that's a, a lot of a struggle with this. But there are other things during the week that my time can you can show my love for God by, by worshiping Him, saying, God, you're worth it. You're worth an hour every day in prayer. You're worth 30 minutes a day in prayer. Like, whatever it is, am I worshiping God? That, I think that's where you start with this priority. Absolutely, because... Worship, uh, in its pure sense, is is putting God at the apex of your life. It's saying that, you know, I am ultimately not in control or in charge, but God is. And you're right, like, you know, we don't necessarily buy God a gift or go on a, a date or a cruise. Um, the gift that God wants is just us. Mm-hmm. Like, we are the gift back, right? We are the, we sacrifice ourselves back in a sense of our worship. We give ourselves back to God with a yes, with, Lord, you are the king. You're the Lord of my life. Like, you're the apex. You drive my decisions. You prioritize my life. Um, and that's, that gets us out of ourself and thinking about just our own muck and thinking about, oh, God, 
It's about you, right? It's about you. And that, that yes to worship is what moves us forward, actually, more than anything else. So if you're stuck in a spiritual rut, just worship Jesus. Yeah. Like just wherever you're at, wherever you're at, just say yes. And, and over and over. And, you know, that's the cool thing about a lot of the, the prayers that we have as Catholics, particularly like something like the rosary. Like if you ever pray a rosary, probably the first couple of decades, you're, you're thinking all about yourself. You're thinking all about like, oh man, I'm so distracted. I'm so distracted. And, and by the time you're at the fourth or fifth mystery and you're really praying, like you've forgotten about yourself and you're just thinking about the mystery. You're thinking about, it's ordering your prayer into saying, hopefully by the end of the rosary, oh God, you're in control of my life, right? Mm -hmm. Like you got this, right? And that's where grace can invade our life. It's like that moment of surrender of yes, of like the Blessed Mother, let it be done to me according to your word. I mean, what was, what was a smaller step than a conception of a child? It's so quiet. It's unknown especially at that time with no ultrasound or anything like it. There's nothing more unseen, unknown, unheard than that. Right. And what was more powerful than that? Nothing. Nothing. And it came from this small yes. And this this worship of God, yes to that worship, that's where the floodgates open of Mm -hmm. grace. And yes, we're baptized. And yes, we're confirmed, most of us. And like we we have this relationship with God built on the sacraments. But if it's not matched with the deepening yes in worship, um, then we're leaving most of the, that grace to just be stagnant. It's yeah, not, not going to be active. Look, it is 100% okay to say yes and to have a little bit of doubt or worry mm-hmm. about like what that means. I, I can't say it enough. So often like we feel in our humanist, we want the, the whole story. We want the big picture. We want the end result. We we want to know the details. Uh, where's this going? It's just not going to happen that way, you know. Um, God just shows us one step at a time because He knows that that in the journey, um, that each step is is leading us. But if we knew the full picture, like like we wouldn't be able to even contain like what that meant. Like we wouldn't be even fully to understand. Like you know, if someone would have told me that my marriage is what it is today, I wouldn't you know, 23 years later, I would not really understood what they were talking about anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's like when I didn't have kids and someone was trying to explain what kids were. No, <laughs> it, I didn't know what it was like to have kids till I actually had them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like one step at a time. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And the spiritual life, it's the same thing. Like don't let fear keep you from saying yes, but it's okay to have fear in saying yes to know, Oh God, I don't know where this is going. That's okay. That's normal. That's human. That's, that's part of it. The disciples struggled with fear and doubt and worry. But it 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 doesn't mean that you, you can't say yes in the middle of that. And that the grace of Jesus is certainly going to be with you in the midst of that. Yeah. And that's really what worship is. It's choosing to worship God even in the midst of the chaos, right? Even in the midst of the storm. Have you ever been to a, a, a beautiful wedding, right? And you're there, and you're thinking about life, you're thinking about yourself, and then all of a sudden this beautiful music starts playing, and a trumpet starts blaring, and there's this just beautiful, you know, orchestra or choir or whatever the case may be, and, and, the, and the doors of the church walk out, and the bride walks in, and everyone stands basically like in, in, in reverence, you know, the bride. And then all of a sudden, like all you're thinking about is the beauty. All you're thinking about is the mm-hmm. moment. And, and the bride and the groom get up there, and 
you've completely and totally forgotten about yourself. You're in the moment. Like that's in a sense of like what worship is, is you, you get lost in, in the moment and in, and in the prayer and the worship to where you, you begin to forget about all the little things that are bugging you. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Cause we have, we have something to do in worship. That's what's great about our church is like worship is not something we invent. So like Paul, George, and Amcon don't have to figure out how do we worship God. And it's not a spectator thing. It's not a spectator thing, but it's a, it's a gift we've received, how to worship. This is what Jesus came to give us. He said he, the Father longs for people to worship in spirit and in truth. And through him we have this, right? So like a wedding is a great example. We don't just get up and, and do whatever we want for a wedding, but like the way the church has given us through Christ to worship that way, that's what we do. And then we all have a duty. You know, like if I'm at Mass, I'm not just sitting around. Like I, I am doing something at Mass. Right. That is my worship. And so it is with the Christian life. You know, when we leave Mass, when we go back home, we have a duty to each other. And I think that's the second half of the greatest commandment where Jesus connects it. We have to love each other. It's our duty. It's not an option. Right. Like, love your wife, love your spouse, love your kids. This is not optional. Like, one day it'd be great to really love them well. And just think if uh, you thought about those acts of love as an act of worship. Right. Like, God, I'm offering this love or this sacrifice as, as a as a form of worship to you. I'm changing this diaper. I'm waking up in the middle of the night. I'm, uh, I'm working hard, uh, to provide for my family. Like offering those things as an act of worship changes completely the atmosphere of your life, your perspective completely, because what you begin to realize then is that, Oh, I'm, I'm literally using everything as a vessel of worship and God's with me in it all. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though it's hard, it's difficult. I don't want to do it. Uh, it's stressful. Uh, I'm allowing God to be in it with me. And that's the beauty of, of what worship is, is it, it's not segmented. Worship really ultimately is, is a way of living. Yep. Is constantly throughout your day, your life, your mindset, your actions, allowing uh, God to be the, the order it and be the apex of it. God sets the priorities. You look to God and everything, and God really begins to give you a new vision of how you look at things and people and priorities in your life. And that's ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, what that small yes does, is allowing God to be um, not only at the center but at the apex of our life. Man, good discussion, and we can keep going all day long. Thank you guys for listening to the show. Please share it on the podcast. Go to the website, uh, discovertheartofliving.com. Look at the things we're doing. We've got some cool marriage stuff. Uh, an engaged conference coming up. So if you're an engaged couple, look that up. Um, and uh, yeah, just some really cool things happening. Um, thanks, Adam, for all you're doing. Thank and, you, Paul. Um, thanks for your To all yes. our sponsors uh, who make the show happen and for all you guys' support. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.